Nonprofit governance. Nonprofit answers. Nonprofit board. Nonprofit management. Nonprofit marketing. Nonprofit resources. The Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits presents Nonprofit Everything, the podcast about everything nonprofit, with your host, Andy Shurick and Stacy Wedding. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Nonprofit Everything. Glad to have you with us. This is Stacy Wedding, and I'm here with Andy Shurick, my partner in crime. We have too much fun doing this. I wish you could be in studio with us at one of these times. But anyways, thank you for listening. Thank you for your questions. As a reminder, you can always send us any question that is on your mind. You can go to nonprofiteverything.com. You can also check us out and uh, submit your question on Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits uh, website, which is the host of this podcast. I have been the executive director of the same nonprofit for eight years, and I am sensing my board is no longer content with what I'm doing. What are some warning signs that an executive director might be on their way out? Mm, we see this, don't we? It's so yeah. sad, especially because eight years is a long time. That is. And it means you've done really good work for eight years. Yeah. Um, lots of nonprofits and, and lots of nonprofits that we work with um, tend to go through what I call adolescence. And adolescence is the stage at which you're no longer a child, but you're not quite an adult. And it's you start to to have all these weird growing pains happening at the same time. Your staff grows a little bit faster than you're used to. The funding gets a little bit diverse. Um, your board, after eight years, maybe your board isn't the same board you started out with. Maybe the, the, the people that were really sympathetic to the old way of doing things have moved on, and you're bringing in new people who have come from other places. So you may not have you know, a team of 12 board members that are all, all have your back all the time. Um, and, and it gets to the point, especially if there was a, if you're a founder, if you started the organization and I mean, it's so hard to kind of let go. Um, The, the, the warning signs though, to, you know, what are, what are some of the warning signs that an ED might be on their way out is that like, have you reached adolescence? Are you the kind of ED who is good at one kind of organization and, but doesn't have an awful lot of experience or doesn't enjoy doing other things. So, so just talk for me, for my personal experience. Um, I really love small startup organizations or actually I love big startup organizations. I love organizations that are like places like the Springs Preserve and Three Square where it was an idea and we're going to throw a bunch of money at it and we're going to see if we can get this thing up and running as fast as we possibly can and get it to be sustainable forever. Um, for me, as an executive, I find that very exciting. Um, I like being on the ground floor. I like being able to design things from first principles to mm-hmm. say, like, this is the first strategic plan we're ever going to do, so this is why it's important. Yeah. For me personally, when we get to the third strategic plan, <laughs> I'm super bored. Yeah. I'm like yeah. a, I'm like, to... yeah, I'm like a, uh, like a border collie. Move like, yeah. if there's <laughs> not something, like, very technical and interesting for me to do, I'm just ripping up the flower beds for no reason. Absolutely. So, so that, I mean, that's, that's, that's me. And, and in, in that case, like for, especially in those organizations, like, like I, I think I'm self-aware enough about my own personal preferences to know that it's time for me to move on in these right. situations that it's like, okay, I'll, you know, I'm just an irritant now. You know, people are starting to get yeah. annoyed with me because, because, because I'm not happy because I don't like steady state organizations that have been that are fine and doing great and the funding's coming in and all the processes are already done and now we're just like trying to shave pennies to make it work a little bit better like i like 
massively broken organizations or bro- all about change. Yeah, yeah. fix. I like yeah. to fix and yeah. start. Like yeah. once it's steady state and it's working, it's like I'm super bored. I'm like staring out the window, screwing around on the internet. It's like maybe it's time for me to move on. You know what though, Andy, you bring up a, an interesting point because I think some of this is self-awareness and really checking in with yourself as an executive director and and thinking about, yeah, do you still have the fire in your belly, right, to yeah. do the work you do? Are you, back to what you said, maybe you grew it to a stage and you're no longer feeling, you're feeling a little bit like apathetic. And I always say it's sort of the, when you get out of bed in the morning, like, are you dreading the week ahead, like on Sunday night? Or do When you get out of bed in the morning, is it just like taking everything to get in, in, in the door, right? Um, sometimes I think you can also find executive directors who've been there for a while can get, um, they don't do the hard work because they don't have the energy. So maybe, for example, they've had a staff member that's been there for a while that needs to change and they're not, they, they just let the person stay and kind of ride and coast because they don't have the energy for it. And yeah. I think when you start, to, when you really got to look in the mirror and start to look at yourself a bit when that starts to happen and say, okay, you know, I've done, I've done my time and maybe it's time for something else. Yeah. And it's a, it's a scary thing too, yeah. to, especially that change, because I mean, you know, good ED jobs are, there aren't a lot of them. There are very few. There, there are a lot of bad ED jobs. I <laughs> think though, you know what? Show. Yeah. And <laughs> you know what? But I take this question from two. So I think there's sort of the self-awareness piece. Now there's, I think a multitude of red flags from if you are an executive director feeling this, when you say you sense it, if you sense it, I'm going to guess there's something going on to make you sense it. Yeah. Right. So I think what I see happen a lot when you start to see a change in board patterns and behavior as it relates to you. So let's say you had a board that always kind of was hands off on some of your hiring decisions and, you know, and and understood that was your role or whatever it might be and starts to question. Get all up in your business. Right, get up in your business, (laughs) right? Starts to micromanage or starts to give you like, oh, you're not doing this enough or you could do this more or kind of pecking at you, right? Mm -hmm. It's like a little peck, peck, peck. And when that starts to happen and whatever that looks like, if that's starting to change, and I, I mean change like on a consistent level, it's not just like you get one or two new board members on the board that perhaps don't understand their role yet and they're doing that. It's like your whole board or your whole executive committee or whomever it is mm-hmm. starts to do that with you. To me, that that becomes a sign of <laughs> something else probably going on. Um, God, there's an organization I know of that started to do executive sessions and they had never done them before. And of course, and they did not share with the executive director, the executive director wasn't invited to the executive session, of course, and then they didn't share at all what those ex- executive sessions were about. That is probably a red flag, in my opinion. And actually, shame on the board. A good professional board should always, doesn't have to share all the details, but should be sharing at least a cursory overview of some of what's going on. Yeah. Um, and, I, you know, my hope is just thinking for this person, because, you know, my heart hurts a little bit for this person, right? Because it's, I mean, maybe it's a great opportunity for change, but it could also be a really hard situation. And I mean, in an ideal world, you would be able to have that candid conversation with your board chair. um, And you have that kind of relationship. You can say, I am sensing this. Is there something going on? Or can we talk a little bit about that? Um, You know, because if you can't have that dialogue, good grief, what can, you know, that's tough. I think there, so there, there are two things that, that would show up as red flags. One is boards, just as a rule, like to be comfortable. 
Yeah. They, they like fundraising to look good. They like you to look good in the community. They don't like scandal. They don't like bad things happening that mm-hmm. they feel responsible for because in the back of their minds, they all know that they're putting in the minimum amount of effort in your organization yeah. and they yeah. feel guilty about that. Yeah. And so when things go wrong, they sort of displace some of that frustration on the executive director. So yeah. so if, if weird things are happening within your organization, that could be part of what you're feeling. The other thing is that self-awareness piece. I've always found it useful to have like an executive coach. If you don't have a coach or somebody that you can call and just like vent to somebody, you know, somebody that is like basically on your team that doesn't have any responsibility to you other than to listen to you and to give you feedback on what you're saying. um, That's a really useful way to sort of maybe uncover like things that are in the back of your mind that haven't surfaced for you yet. Something that like in your gut, you know, what's wrong. Like in this case, it feels like you don't know what, you know, what are, what are some of the warning signs um, you probably know the warning signs, yeah. you know, the, the fact that you're noticing it now and, but you don't know what the warning signs, maybe it, you can probably answer that question yourself probably. by having a really long, hard conversation with, with somebody who has no dog in that hunt um, and just to talk. And then maybe you can figure it out yourself. And then that's when you can decide, like, is this a battle I want to fight or not? And I think if, if we have board members listening, I guess I would ask you as, as board members also, what I think can be pain, you know, nobody likes change, right? In general, we as humans don't like change. Boards, back to, you know, what you said, are can get comfortable, um, can become complacent. They know it is a massive headache to have to let go an executive director for whatever reason. And so as a result, that can become a really long period of just hammering that executive director, doing that pecking, that little picking on every single thing to the point where – it's not really, it's just not fair. It's like not the way you want to treat someone because you're scared to pull off the Band-Aid. And, and I don't think it's a, it's a rash decision. And yet what bothers me is I see boards all the time that will put an executive director through hell and back, right, for like a full year or longer before making that decision. And it's like everyone is then in a really bad place by the time that happens. And it's like if, the more you can kind of figure out in in as a board, like, let's not make this go on forever. Let's make sure we're making the right decision. Let's do all the protocol we need to, to sort of let the ED know that this is what we're not content with and give them opportunity to change that. But, but don't drag this on forever. Should our nonprofit accept Bitcoin? Mm, that's fun. Like anytime anybody asks you if you want something from them, you kind of have to go through that decision process of whether or not I really want to accept what gift they're giving me. So you probably have a gift acceptance policy or you should have a gift acceptance policy, but I'm guessing that somewhere on that gift gift acceptance policy, it doesn't say anything about cryptocurrency. Right. Right. That's kind of a new development, (laughs) right? It's sort of a new thing. Yeah. And like that, and, and it gets complicated because even if someone gave it to you, like, what is it? Where does it live? All of those kinds of things. This is one of those instances where I think the answer is yeah. You should you should be able to accept anything that someone offers you, um, but you're going to probably need help. So um, what I would do is reach out to someone that you know. Um, certainly, any of the the folks that work for the investment banks, or if you have an investment account, maybe you have an endowment, maybe you've got some money salted away um, that's being invested. You probably have an investment management policy. Um, whoever's dealing with that kind of stuff for you, talk to them um, to get that put in place before someone asks you if you want to accept Bitcoin um, so that you can say yes and then be able to actually complete the transaction. 
So this was an interesting question because I had not I, I had not heard it yet. Uh, and so I did a little bit of research because I really didn't know the answer. Um, I found a really good site, so I'll make sure um, we put it. We'll make sure we put it on the on the, the website sure. so you can you know click to it. But I think sort of the overriding principle with any of this stuff, in addition to gift acceptance, is sort of, yeah, how much, I mean, sometimes you have to also kind of weigh how many, you know, how much is going to be the return on your the investment of your time? Do you have the type of audience that's that's going to be giving more, you know, Bitcoin and cryptocurrency? I was, you know, the article went on to talk a little bit about how a lot of the people that are tech savvy um, and sort of younger generations are looking at more creative ways of giving. So I think it's great to sort of stay abreast of it, but you also have to say, okay, how much, you know, cost legwork are we going to go into to accept this? And is it going to be worth it at the end, right? With any gift, you want to make sure. Yeah. And the the example that they always use is real estate. So somebody comes up to you and says, Hey, we've got this piece of property. Do you want it? And, um, that's been a, that's a, a thing that's happened long enough that people know that they should probably get some professionals involved. It needs to be appraised. You need to understand, like, is there, you know, is it a former chemical plant that needs to be remediated and it's going to cost you a trillion dollars to get it fixed? Those kinds of things. The, the, the challenge with cryptocurrency and Bitcoin specifically is that it was really cheap for a while and then it got really, really expensive. So there's some people that have an awful lot of money um, that will be, um, subject to capital gains tax Mm -hmm. if they turn that into cash. And this is a really good way for them to, um, to get rid of that without having to pay massive amounts of tax on it. Um, One of the things you could talk to is, so if if you don't want to go through the process of figuring out how to set up an account to put Bitcoin into it, and then, you know, what your, your acceptance policy is for that actual product. um, Cause there's a lot of them too. It's not just Bitcoin. That's one of them. So cryptocurrencies, there are probably hundreds at this point. Like anybody that's Mm -hmm. figured out how to do it has started a new kind of cryptocurrency. Um, So, so you could be asked about something that you've never even heard of some goofy name that, you know, doesn't even make sense. So one of the things you could do is to go to one of the companies that offers donor advised funds or, or deals with high wealth individuals and seeing if, if that person has an account there, they can actually deposit their Bitcoin into that donor-advised fund. And the fund will then convert it to cash. And one, one of the things that the fund does is, um, especially in these really big companies, they may own Bitcoin. So when you give them Bitcoin, they're just adding it to their Bitcoin wallet. And then when you make a gift out to wherever you want to make the gift to, um, then it gets converted to cash at that point. And you don't have to worry about the valuation. You don't have to worry about dealing with Bitcoin. You're just taking the money from the donor-advised fund. So it's a good it's a good intermediary. There's there the donor isn't losing anything doing it right. that way. It doesn't cost them any money usually to put it through the donor advised fund. So so that may be another way to take it without having to deal with like oh gosh now we have Bitcoin. And that's actually another good um, thing to keep in mind for as we talk as as you mentioned Andy um, any kinds of gifts whether it's real estate um, complex uh, uh, planned gifts complex. Uh, you know, gifts of, of sort of intangibles or uh, some, some organizations aren't even set up or don't know how to accept stock. And these donor advised fund options are phenomenal vehicles if you get that donor um, that, that wants to donate some of that. And you just as an organization don't have the expertise or access to it or the time to worry about it. It might be worth having a relationship um, that you can refer or at least connect the donor to, to some of those other vehicles those donor advisement vehicles. The one other final thing I was thinking about related to this Bitcoin question is, I don't know uh, is if preparing receipts for Bitcoin donors 
has any special rules. Um, I don't know if you know that, Andy, but if 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 no one knows that, it's probably a good thing to talk about. How does that receding process happen with the donor and maybe talking to your CPA or? Yeah, and that's people get really unclear about that too. Um, the it's not the responsibility of the nonprofit ever to provide valuation on something that isn't obvious. So even when someone gives you stock, if they give you stock, they may give you, say they give you 50 shares of Netflix, which would be awesome, right? They give you 50 shares of Netflix. You can't tell them how much it's worth. What you right. tell them is, thank you for sending us the 50 shares of Netflix that we received on January 9th or whatever date you received right. it. And it's up to them to decide the what the value is, whether they want to use the closing price, the open price, the high, the low, whatever, you know, whatever their personal accounting makes that value for you because they don't have any control over when you sell it. You may have right. a policy like you probably ought to. You may have a policy that when stocks come into your account, that the first thing you do is immediately convert them to cash. And then, you know, if you want those stocks later, that should be part of your investment policy that says we buy these kinds of stocks, right? Um, the, the program should pick it up rather than you just like, you know, <laughs> like our policy is whatever people give us, right? Yeah. Um, so Bitcoin is the same. Okay. Um, so so you wouldn't ever say, you know, somebody gives you like seven Bitcoin. You're like, okay. And you would say, thank Thanks you very much for the seven Bitcoin that re we received on. And then you put a date. Right. And um, and your donors may push back. I've had I've had donors push back on me on on certain things that they wanted to see very specific. I'm trying to think of the example. It was it was actually a silent auction item. I think someone gave us and they wanted me to give a valuation on their silent auction item. And I had, it's really easy because the IRS website, you go, you look it up on the IRS website and it says, um, it is the donor's responsibility to get an appraisal right. for anything. And so you can say, you know, it's not my rule. It's the IRS's rule. Yeah. I also know though, it can get complicated because, um, I, I totally, yeah, I totally have been where you've been, where it's, we've accepted gifts of stock and organizations I've worked for. And the donors have said, I want, you to actually put the value. And it's like, well, no, there's a lot of factors and that's not our responsibility. But there's sort of the IRS rules of what of the donor valuing, but then you have gap, right? Generally accepted accounting principles that you still have to value it for the organization. So right for your books. Yeah. So there's sort of like these two rules of thumb. And I think sometimes people get confused about it, but it's like one is the donor's responsibility, the valuing for their purposes, and then your internal purposes is a little different. Yeah, and they don't necessarily have to match. So if the donor decides to value it at whatever the donor decides, so say you get those 15 shares of Netflix and then the donor says that they were worth, you know, $17,000. Um, the, the, that's up to them and that's between them and the IRS. When you receive it, you get, you probably should have a policy in place that says like when we receive stock, this is what we value it out. And it could be like the closing price of the day that it hits our account. Yeah. And it could take three days from the day that the donor gives it to you to the floats through the system to end up in your account. So it could have dropped precipitously in those three days mm -hmm. or, or gone up in those three days. So the value that the donor is claiming in many cases is not going to be the same value that you book. Absolutely. Um, and then if your policy is to convert it to cash, you may actually take a loss or get a gain on that stock. You get a, a realized gain or a realized mm -hmm. loss on that law, on that stock when you mm -hmm. convert it to cash. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, this is not a nonprofit accounting podcast. Thank right. God. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody yeah. would listen if it was. So. <laughs> like, no, like there'd be three people that just constantly <laughs> told us we were wrong all the time. <laughs> I am the board member of a nonprofit based in northern Nevada that provides services to all parts of the state. We recently had a strategic planning retreat and set goals to expand regionally. 
what are some things we should be considering to operate outside of our home state? So a few things I've seen come up for organizations is those that expand and maybe don't know the legal climate there, don't know if there's, you know, there's certain states and, you know, if they don't know what what that states, for example, like charitable solicitation rules are related to fundraising, or if they don't know some of the basic um, sort of business practices that that state requires that can be different from state to state? Or, you know, does that state have a requirement for a certain, you know, is this going to be a separate um, division? You know, is your nonprofit sort of, is it like a franchise model or is this just sort of like an extension model? And is there a board there? And if so, what does the state require as far as number of board members? So I think some of it is just really becoming familiar, whether it's, you know, talking to, you know, doing your own online research, maybe seeing if there's a SCORE office there. You know, we've had a guest from SCORE before, but that helps you with startup. Um, Maybe, you know, I'm thinking of like someone like Anne, you know, Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits is a great resource for organizations starting fresh and new. Um, And so maybe, you know, looking at, is there a sort of a nonprofit management association, you can kind of get the feel for that community and what the rules and regulations are there. So you make sure you're in compliance. And it, those are just things off the top of my head. What do you, what do you think? Yeah, that's great. So I, the, definitely the first thing to do is go to the, the National Council of Nonprofits website and find the state association for whatever states are, are in the region that you're thinking of moving into, and then reaching out to the association of nonprofits in each of those states. Because there's one in, I think, like 48 of the 50 states. I believe there's even one in Puerto Rico. So oh. there's there's one everywhere. So you can always kind of get that basic information about, like, what do you need to file with the Secretary of State? I mean, if you're going into California, the rules get even more complicated. God forbid you're going to Florida or New York. They're, like, times 50. Um, there are organizations that – because you have to do – in Nevada, you got to do the charitable registration statement. Right. Charitable solicitation registration statement. It's a mouthful, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Other states have similar things, but they're not the same. And there are companies that can help you do that. There's, there's, I know, at least one company that will automatically do the entire country for you. Hmm. So if you were going to do fundraising in every state in the U.S., you can file something and they will automatically file all of it for you. Um, so you can do that. Um, I think from a – so that's like the technical details. I yeah. think from the practical details, like if you're – for example, you're in northern Nevada. Even if you're expanding from northern Nevada to southern Nevada – there's different people in Southern Nevada than there are in Northern Nevada. Are Does your board encompass both Northern Nevada and Southern Nevada people? Do you want to put an auxiliary board together? How are you going to fundraise? Because it's not, you know, are you just going to imag- magically like, <laughs> <laughs> like expand? And, right. Like you got to have that footprint on all levels. So yeah. the staff levels, the board levels, the program levels, it's got to be everywhere. So I don't know. That's, that's something you probably need to think about too. It almost, I mean, it feels like, I mean, the strategic plan saying that's our strategic direction is great, but it feels like there really needs to be almost a business plan to some degree that covers the components you're talking about and the technical components, but really is sort of looking at all those angles. Are there are there people and other organizations you can collaborate with in the community you're going into or that perhaps can be sort of an ally to you that before you just you know, lo and behold, enter into a new community, you've sort of set some of that framework and that and built those relationships. So by the time you get there, you're not sort of just this new entity that's just shown up. Um, you know, I'm thinking about in, in at least in, in Southern Nevada, there was a national nonprofit that actually came and they've, they've done well, thank God, but like they came here 
um, a few years ago and, and, you know, they still have their national offices, but they also have, you know, sort of a program department that exists here and resides in Southern Nevada. And I, I will say they, they met some resistance early on with funders saying, who are you? And you're from, you know, are you going to take your practices from whatever X, Y, Z state and think you're going to apply them here? We're a different community, you oh. know, so sort of that, that silo and competition and then other nonprofits feeling threatened because now here's a new entity, yeah. right. That's got this national structure and resources. So, so I think there's a lot of that, that almost can be the trickier, like the technical piece you can figure out, but it's that nuance that can get, you know, it can be tricky. Yeah. So that's like totally random. I was talking to a funder probably two months ago and she was talking about a particular issue that she was interested in and she didn't feel like that there was anybody in Nevada. She's talking about the whole state, anybody in Nevada that was doing that or doing it well. Mm -hmm. And so she was working on getting an organization out of California to open up a regional office in Nevada. And, and I can tell you that even though it made sense to me, like on a, you know, personal level, like, okay, that makes sense. Like something was bugging me about it. There's yeah. something about like, what, so what do you think? Like, yeah. like, is there really nobody working right. on this in this space? Like yeah. you just, do you like them better? What, yeah. What's the, you know, can you, you know, I, I was very conflicted. I, I think I probably had like all of these different like emotions going across my face when I was talking to her because I didn't really <laughs> know how I felt about that. Yeah. Well, and I'm even thinking, so for this other organization and in one of the things they did that worked really well for them they actually had sort of a year's worth of call them feedback tours or listening tours where they came and they'd invite a mix of funders, other people they might want to collaborate with, other nonprofits. And they literally said, we're thinking like they were very transparent. Here's what we're thinking of doing. Here's when we're thinking of coming to Southern Nevada. Can we get your feedback? Can we can you share with us what's working? What are and it was interesting because people actually felt better because they weren't, you know, they were very transparent. So people knew what was going on. People knew what their plan was. People could sort of not have to feel threatened. People could then give their feedback and, you know, and it helped get them sort of in a better place so that when they did officially come here and start staffing an office here, it, it, it was like people were like, oh yeah, we've heard of them. I mean, you know, instead of that whole who the, who the heck are, <laughs> who are those? these people? Yeah, who are these people? What are they doing invading our territory? Right. And, you know, the other thing, I'm just going to add, cost analysis. So there was an organization that was in southern Nevada and expanded to northern Nevada and ended up really struggling because they didn't realize it's sort of like, you know, a new business. What do they say? It takes five years to even be profitable. Well, it's sort of similar, I think, when you think about from a nonprofit, like how long is it going to take for you to get traction in the new region? And how do you have the budget and do you have the resources to maintain and sort of build until you can get more sustainable? And I think that's something for a board that you really need to make sure you're all comfortable with before you go into it, because this other organization ended up not realizing it. It was sort of a flip decision, just let's do it quickly. And then ended up feeling really, um, a few years later, started saying, wow, that sort of us expanding into different parts of the state are sucking our coffers dry in Southern Nevada. And this is unacceptable because we're, we're, we're not able to do this like the way we need to. And they, they weren't building the funders up because they're, they were based still in Southern Nevada. So I think there's just a lot of those types of things that people need to think through. Yeah. There's, there's a ton of research on, on how people, tend to donate specifically for like large national organizations versus smaller local organizations. And 
And generally, people prefer to donate to local organizations. So if you're asking somebody in Las Vegas for money, you're going to want to be able to tell them that that money is going to be deployed in Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just that's just how people tend to give. And so when you when you expand out, you're you're exactly right. You need to make sure that you know where those resources are coming from in that new community. You're you're. And I think we had this, didn't we have a question just we like did. this a we few did. weeks ago? Yeah. Like somebody was, you know, they were had money that was given for uh, Las Vegas and yeah. they weren't going to spend it in Las yes. Vegas. And what do we tell the donor, right? Exactly. So th- that's that's exactly what happens in all of those cases. So you need to really build that resource plan. Like what are we going to do when we move to Utah or California yeah. or wherever it is? Um, we're going to need money from those folks for that region and not be able to pull it from someplace else. Absolutely. I had a staff member retire before the new year, and I'm dreading having to balance my work and now add her job on top of it until I can find her replacement. This is the fourth employee I've lost in the last nine months. One I had to let go, two others resigned, and now this one retired. I internalize each one of these. They all hit me hard, and I'm having trouble staying positive. How do EDs stay positive and keep forward momentum when dealing with ongoing HR headaches? Heavy sigh on this one. I, I just I feel the pain of the person who wrote this because I think that HR issues, when you talk to executive directors, HR issues and the board are their two biggest headaches, right? So this is just um, one of those things where I mean I think I think for me what I would if you can you know have your sort of have the little pity party which we all need to have at times right have that group of people that you can vent to or. Um, it's sort of your safe space to sort of get the emotion out for all this stuff or the frustration out. But then I think after you get through that, it's like the larger question becomes, why are we having this kind of turnover, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I know that it's tough in the sector, right? We don't pay a lot of times enough, um, under-resourced. Yep. So maybe it's not just something that that you as an executive director have to carry on your shoulders all alone. I mean, it's to me that becomes a question of, are there other opportunities we have for compensation packages, for recognition, um, for different things we can do to try to keep employees longer and retain them? And maybe that becomes more of a, a healthy discussion, even with the board. Um, it's, so it's not just on the executive director's shoulders. It's It's exploring it. Yeah. I, I think that reminds me of a, a Lady Bracknell quote from The Importance of Being Earnest, which is the losing one parent is misfortune. Losing two seems like carelessness. Mm. Mm. <laughs> the, and like, yeah. is there is there something that's going on, like figuring out, like, is it that you're under-resourced and you're not paying these people and they're moving on to greener pastures? Like, is it that maybe you're a tough person to work for and that you're not hiring people that are capable of working to your level. What's the, what's the underlying challenge in seeing if you can figure out why you're having turnover problems? Um, X interviews are recommended. I'm not sure that they're useful. I don't know that personally I've ever read an exit interview that taught me anything that I didn't already know. Yeah. Um, like, yeah, your boss was a jerk. I agree. <laughs> I probably would have left too. Um, <laughs> but like figuring out like, is there something that you can, something that you can identify that you can maybe change? And I agree a hundred percent that it's the board's responsibility as much as it is yours as the executive director. Like if it is, if, if it is, you're not paying people enough, the board needs to be aware of that and needs to help you fix that problem. Absolutely. That's not your problem. Yeah, it's not just yours alone. So hang in there, find that support group, and yeah, maybe do some 
some exploration, I think, to figure out these feel like symptoms of a larger issue. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of Nonprofit Everything. We're the resource for you on everything you have on your mind or any question you have about nonprofits. And special thanks to Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits and for hosting and making this possible. We're, uh, you know, it's a great, Anne is a great resource. Everyone should be uh, checking out and uh, getting more involved with yourselves. Now, we encourage you, if you liked today's episode or any of the past episodes, feel free to share it. Uh, We are just trying to build the audience here and any questions and engagement we can have from you, whether that's sharing, whether it's writing a question or even just rating us uh, is greatly appreciated as we try to build the audience. And we'll look forward to chatting with you, connecting with you next time. (laughs) 